scores! Gilmore scores! Off the glass, the left corner to Aguila. Aguila in the left circle. Passing the yellow shot. Save made by Aguila. Three rebound, another shot. They score! The Flames win it! Yeah, baby! They score! And the sea of red erupts! Flames talk starts now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Here's Pat Steinberg and Aaron Vickers. All right, let's get it going on this Tuesday, March 7th, alongside Aaron Vickers of Daily Hive. My name is Pat Steinberg, coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. This hour of Flames Talk is available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, I would imagine that had to be a relief for the Flames on Monday night because, Vix, how many times have we seen that game this season with a different result, with a result that goes against the Flames, with with them losing in overtime or maybe even losing in regulation on that late power play? And you know how, not every Flames fan, but you know how a lot of Flames fans were feeling when Nick Ritchie took that penalty with less than three minutes to go and, and put the stars on the power play. I saw I saw the reaction on social. I, I saw the reaction on our text line. And I get it because that game has gone against Calgary so many times in the first 62 games of the year, 63 games of the year, whatever it was. But this time it, uh, it went Calgary's way. And this time... They killed off the penalty effectively, then weathered a storm at the end of it, and into the final minute as the Stars uh, and Flames went back to even strength. And then all of a sudden, Tyler Toffoli saw a defenseman being a little too aggressive. He saw a shot coming through, and then he started to go. Jonathan Huberto read it perfectly, and next thing you know, it's a breakaway. And with less than seven seconds to go, Tyler Toffoli goes upstairs on Jake Ottinger. You could tell there was a lot of relief. You could tell there was just a lot of, finally, listen to uh, Rasmus Anderson on Monday's Flames Talk post-game show when he joined us live from Dallas. I kind of felt like we played a really good game, but, you know, they they have a really good team, a lot of skilled players. And, uh, yeah, when Toff, when Toff got the breakaway, I was just kind of praying that he would score. So, uh, and thank God he did. Um, but it was, uh, you know, the feeling when you saw the puck win was, uh, was really nice. I, uh, I don't know what the win means. I don't know what they're going to do with it from here. I don't know if it'll be a springboard. I don't know if they'll get on a run because of this win. I have no idea what's going to happen in the next 18 games after what happened on Monday. But uh, it, uh, that was a fun one on Monday. A fun finish and a fun positive way to finish a game for the Flames, which has not been the case on a regular basis. When it's been drama and when it's been thrills, it's typically been against the Flames so far this season. I just want to step back to Erasmus's comments there because praying, thank God, I think that's a little bit of a window into the mindset or the, uh, not attitude, but expectation of the Calgary Flames right now where if something's going to go wrong, there's a chance that it will. And that game to me was like an onion a little bit. A lot of layers to that because they jump out to a lead, lose the lead. Jump out to another two-goal lead, lose that lead. And then you've got Tyler Toffoli with the game on his stick with 6.4, 6.4 yeah. seconds left in the game. And just think back to Saturday against Minnesota. He had a shorthanded breakaway that he didn't convert that could have tied that game. So that game was on his stick, didn't score. This game is on his stick. Rifles one over the glove and the Flames celebrate. They avoid overtime. They avoid the disastrous eventual shootout if it doesn't end in regulation. Suddenly they've got two points. Maybe they've got new life. I'm like you. I don't know if this means anything. 
We've seen so many times this season where something happens, whether it's a big win, whether it's rallying around an agent's comments, whether it's rallying around goaltending, whatever it is, rallying around Jacob Peltier, whatever it is, the Calgary Flames have had ample opportunity to find a rallying point from a single moment, and they haven't been able to build momentum on that. Their challenge now with 18 games to go is to use that last second goal, literal buzzer beater, to do something that puts them in a position to challenge for a playoff spot because right now the math does not look good. No, the math, and the math only got slightly better on Monday night. Uh, Winnipeg squandered an opportunity to get two points against the Sharks. They only get the one, and so the Flames gained a, a single point, and they gained on the Avalanche as well, so... They're five back at Colorado. They're six back at Winnipeg. Winnipeg's the team that they're chasing by points percentage. So that elimination number came down a little bit, but came down a whole lot less than it could have, uh, depending on how both games could have ended up going. But, you know, I just, regardless of what the game means and regardless of the playoffs and regardless of what happens after, it just was, it was a refreshing departure from the typical script. Cause even I was like, Oh boy, when Richie takes that penalty after having a really oh, yeah. good debut, you're like, Oh Nick, what are you doing? That's that one might be the most blatant one. They called like that one was an easy penalty call. And it just, without, there was no reason to take that penalty there. And like, Oh no, that's the type of one that usually comes back and bites you. But the flames did a great job in the first 90 seconds of killing it. And it kind of felt like Dallas was okay playing for overtime. The next thing you know, they finally got a clean zone entry with about 30 seconds to go, and they started to move it, and they never really settled back into where they were before, and they opened the door for the Flames to by, by being aggressive and, and a couple of big shot blocks and a couple of misses, a couple of marks from saves. They, the, the doors opened for that Huberdeau pass to Toffoli and the Toffoli finish. So I, I'm, I'm less... I'm less bullish on what the game itself means. I'm less confident as to whether or not the Flames are able to take that and run with it. They've got a quick turnaround. Uh, less than 24 hours later with a lot of travel from Dallas to Minnesota. Third game in four nights. Like They've got a tough circumstance against the Wild. I have no idea how they're going to deal with it or how they're going to kind of riff off what happened against the Stars. But it was just neat to see a different story written for one night and, and, and seeing them celebrate like that. It was like, it's, it's been a largely negative season. So even if they miss the playoffs and even if that is one of the, the few real positive games this year and the real fun moments this year, at least there was that. And I, I, uh, I give them credit for sticking with it. Well, and it was an entertaining game, whether you're a Dallas stars fan or a Calgary flames fan, that game had a lot of the elements that, uh, you know, you pay money, you buy mm. tickets to go see her, you watch it on TV or you go to the bar. Goals, saves, hits, drama. And to cap it all off, the dramatic ending where Tyler Toffoli jumps the route, gets sprung, looks up, has time, puts it exactly where he wants it. And at least the flame side goes home happy. And you're right. Um, well, and I mean, how many times have the Flames left the rink, whether it's their rink or another team's rink? And like, geez, that'll be a tough one to swallow for Calgary. And this time around, it was a tough one to swallow for the Stars. Like, if you're Dallas, you're like, how did we not get that to at least overtime? Uh, so it was it was refreshing to see the Flames deliver a loss like that that would really crush an opposing team because it hasn't happened uh, that many times this year. Not that we need to dwell on the what-ifs, but can you imagine if Toffoli doesn't score or doesn't get that pass 
and get that goal, all of a sudden you're talking about a team that blew two two goal leads, got to overtime. We know the story of this club when it goes beyond sixty minutes. Did you know that if they would have got to overtime on Monday night, it would have been the two worst extra time teams in the NHL. Oh. They had twenty six loser points between them. Dallas <laughs> has thirteen, Flames have thirteen. It didn't get there. Turtle but derby. somebody was somebody was less than seven seconds away from becoming the uh, outright leader for loser points um, because somebody would have lost in overtime or a shootout had they got there. So we did. It's still a tie. The Flames made sure that it's still a tie. But, yeah, I have no idea how things would have gone had it gotten to overtime or a shootout because both teams have had such trouble being able to close things out. I think they're both 5-13 and 13 in extra time, overtime, and shootout. So we didn't get a chance to... To get an outright leader there. You know what we did get? What? Another one goal game. That's right. Is that an NHL leading 38 now? Sounds right. I think they're at 37 pending the outcome of the game with Dallas on Monday. So that would put them at 38. No shortage of drama, at least. I um I I felt like I know they gave up the two leads and, and they had two nothing and four two leads. And and to give up a four two third period lead is is not a positive thing. But I felt I liked the way the flames stuck with it. And I just like the overall kind of looseness they looked like they were playing with. They they looked like they had the weight of the world on them on Saturday night against Minnesota. They lose that game 3-0. They get booed off the ice. They yeah. fall seven back of a playoff spot. And it felt like for a lot of people that was kind of the, the final nail, and that was it. Say, okay, this is not going to happen. And you just, it, it just felt like two nights later – they played with significantly less weight on their shoulders. And I just wonder if even inside that locker room, they're like, okay, that was a really big loss. The climb is really steep, so let's stop thinking about it. Let's let's just go out there and play a really good game against the Stars. And, you know, I just I look at the way Rasmus Anderson played at one of his best games in a while. Um, I look at the way that Uyghur continues to play. Uh, Kadri and Huberdo had their best games in a while. Richie slotted in really nicely in his first game. I just, there were a lot of positive, perf- Lindholm's line, uh, Toffoli was, to, the, the Toffoli-Lindholm line was dreadful on Saturday. They were really, the two best lines against Dallas were the Kadri line and the Lindholm line with new wingers on each of them. And so it just, I don't know, and maybe it's a little confirmation bias, but it just, it kind of felt like they were playing with a little less of a dark cloud hanging over every player. Well, and I'm not even going to say he had his best game in recent memory, but even Nikita Zadorov scored for the first time in 14 games. He had a lot of players. I think Lindholm's goal was his first in five or first in six. He just had a lot of those instances where, okay, Nick Ritchie gets his first point with the Flames a goal. Troy Stetcher gets his first point with his with the Flames in his second game. Zadorov scores for the first in 14 or 15. Lindholm scores for the first in nearly a half dozen. You just had a lot of instances of guys, and I'm not even going to say that the newcomers were on the off the Schneid or anything, but you just had a lot of guys, you know, rolling in the right direction after struggling somewhat in the games leading up to this. So I think those are positives you can build on if you're still looking for positives to build on. If you're looking towards Oh, well, that's two points the wrong way. If you're looking at draft stuff, if you can either go that one way or the other way, whichever way you go, one side's going to be happy, one side's not. But I have a feeling that's the way it's going to be with a split fan base from here on out. The, um, well, I, there were calls like that on Monday night. Uh, but geez, they can't even tank properly. Who says they were tanking? Yeah. Um, I don't think that was ever the intention. Uh, George was really upset that they won the game. I was like, I don't, I, I don't. I, ne- I don't think his and offense not, should ever be. And he's not the he's not the only one. I've seen lots of it online. I've seen lots of it on Twitter about how 
you know, you all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, and I get it. You don't, as a Flames fan, part of you or a big chunk of you believes they're not going to win enough to get in and they're not going to lose enough to get a better draft pick. They're probably going to be right there in the middle, but not playing beyond their last game, April 10th or whatever. I, I understand that skepticism because we've seen it so many times over the last decade plus. I fully get that, but I don't think you can ask a team to go out and lose. Uh, the only thing that you can ever do to affect tanking uh, is put a less competitive roster on the ice. And where they are right now, I just don't think it's time for a team to be doing that. It would be pretty blatant if they were starting to wave the white flag at this stage of the season. You know, down the road, if if they're still seven out with 10 games to go, different conversation. But where they are right now, I don't think that you can go down that. I don't think you can start benching guys, shutting guys down. I don't think it's that time yet. As, no, as much no. as we don't think it's going to happen, I, I don't think competitive balance-wise and just as as a professional hockey team, I don't think you can do that. So I get the conflicting emotions because you're like, man, it would be nice. We don't think they're going to make it. And I understand if you're a fan why you might be there, but it's probably unrealistic to expect that to actually happen, you know? Do do we want to get into the playoff versus lottery math right now? You, you've got it there right I do have it there. it there. I came just in case, and with all the apologies directed towards the Nashville Predators, I'm not counting you in any of this math. Yes, you're tied with the Calgary Flames at 69 points. Yes, you have three games at hand, but you were a seller at the deadline. Eventually, you're going to fade, although it would be kind of, I don't want to say ironic, but if they managed to catch the Winnipeg Jets after making a deal with them for Nino Niederreiter before the trade deadline, I mean, that's a shoulder shrug. But the Winnipeg Jets are the team to catch. They're on pace for 95.7 points. Calgary's on pace for 90.4. According to Hockey Reference, or depending on where you go, the Calgary Flames have about a 19.8% shot of making the playoffs. They need to get to 96 points based on current trajectory. That is 27 of a possible 36 remaining points. That's a 750 winning percentage. Mm -hmm. They've been nowhere near that this year. If they were playing at anywhere near that clip, they'd be firmly in the Pacific Division title chase, to be quite frank. And it's not as though they've vaulted up the standings and are nipping at the heels of the Winnipeg Jets. They've only gained two points on the Jets over the course of the last 10 games for each team. Flames have three wins, two ties for a total of eight points. The Jets have six points by ways of two wins and two ties. Now, the Bedard math, Flames are only one point up right now on the Washington uh, Capitals, pardon me, the Florida Panthers, and five up on Detroit. If they can get into that 10 or 11 spot, They've got a 3 to a 3.5% chance of winning the lottery. And if you're in that 10 or 11, you can jump to number one. If you're 12 or 13, you can you only can. jump 10 spots. Yep. So you need to be in that 10 or 11 to have a shot at Bedard. Flames' current cup odds, according to Hockey Reference, 0.5%. Money Puck has them at 5%. If you can get into that 10 or 11, you're at a 3 to a 3.5% shot at landing Connor Bedard. That's the math. I just... I'll be curious to see which way it goes because obviously there's 23 guys right now pulling in the direction of the playoffs. Nobody on the Calgary Flames roster is concerned about winning the draft lottery. They're concerned about making the playoffs and then seeing what you can do from there. But I just thought the math is really interesting because you have anywhere from a 0.5 to 5% chance of making the playoffs depending on what analytics website you go to. But the fact of the matter remains, if you're in that 10 or 11 spot... I mean, you, win the cup. Win the cup, pardon yeah. me. Win the cup, thank you. You have a 3 to a 3.5% shot at winning the lottery if you're in the 10-11 spot. Read you a few texts at 960-960. Uh, 
Um, this says flames need to tank tank all day waiting until 10 games left is useless. I just, I don't know a team that is six points. Even, even, even Nashville, they made moves at the deadline that are aimed at the future, aimed at being able to reset maybe next year, but it's not like they're, I I guess, I, I guess you could use that as an example, but it's not like they're sitting Duchesne. It's not like they're sitting. Uh, it's not like they're not playing Saros. It's not like they're not playing Yossi, right? Like it, it's you're well, still playing your best possible lineup while you still have a, even if it's a slim mathematical chance, while you still have a chance to make the playoffs, you're still playing your best lineup. I, I don't know any team that is just going to completely gear down when it comes to actually putting the best players in the lineup, at least with 19, 18 games remaining. Forget that. They're six, three, and one in their last ten. Jets are two, six, and two. They're gaining ground at a much quicker pace than the Calgary Flames are when it comes to that. And Winnipeg's third in the Central Division right now. Technically, the Colorado Avalanche have the second wild card spot. They're at seventy four points, one point behind Winnipeg, but have three games at hand. I'm pretty sure you can take the Colorado Avalanche, slam them into a position in the Central Division. I'm comfortable saying that they're going to be one of the three Central Division teams. Pretty comfortable saying it's going to be the Winnipeg Jets competing for one of the last two wild card spots. But if you're the Nashville Predators with they're three doing games a at hand, job they're doing a, they're doing the worst job in the NHL of tanking because you know why? Those 23 players don't care about Connor Bedard. They care about trying to put something together for the stretch run and find a way into the playoffs. And that doesn't change that what David Poyle and Barry Trotz Not did at, at the deadline was right for them. I absolutely think it was, but they said, we're going to make these moves at the deadline for guys that we don't see ourselves going ultimately forward with in the long term, get some good return for them, and take our chances with who's left, see what happens, and then start to reset a little bit in the summertime. But they're not saying, we're going to do that and also bench our best players, which is, I think, one of the arguments, why aren't they benching player X, Y, and Z? Put them out and bring up a bunch of guys on the rank. There's A, you've got a 23-person roster limit, and B, you've got a salary cap. But And two recalls left. And only two regular recalls left. But it's just it's not something that I think is realistic at this stage of the game. Not at all, and it's just funny to think in Nashville because it's not like they dealt a sixth defenseman and a fourth-line winger and a backup goalie. They, they dealt right of the trade Echol, Granlund. Like, they did major roster reconstruction, and those guys in that room are still saying, don't care who you got rid of, we know who's here now. Those are the horses that are going to lead us in. Came from behind and almost beat Vancouver. They end up losing in a shootout yep. uh, after trailing 3-1 in the third period on Monday night. Uh, some other text. This says, I cannot stand hearing that tanking crap. What a terrible mentality. Look up north and see what that has done to that team in the past. Um, Andrew says in Calgary, people who want to tank have simply spent too much time in Edmonton. Um Whew. This says the Flames are trying to tank every night by playing Lucic each night. That seems mean. Yeah. Uh, this says Flames will go on a run led by every pending UFA, which will boost their value. They will miss by two points, and the team that wins the lottery will be the 10 or 11 team, making us all wonder what if. That's super cynical, but that's that's a very cynical but you know what? situation painted Proba- there. Probably accurate, let's be honest. Cade says you can't take and tank until you're 100% out of the playoff picture. That's where I am. They're not. You know, again, if there's 10 games to go and they're still six, seven, eight points out, then yeah, I think that you've got an opportunity to start playing some young players. But I don't think now is the time, at least in my opinion. This says, I got a math question for you guys. Uh-oh. What are the chances the Flames won't make the playoffs and won't win the Bedard lottery? And I would say the math on that is very high. I would say that's the most that's probable the, that's, outcome. That, I think that's very fair. 
again, because the difference between the lottery and the Bedard lottery is you got to be 10 or 11 to actually jump the 10 spots required to be able to draft Bedard. If you're 13, 14 and win the lottery, you just move up to three or four. I see the Calgary Flames as a bubble playoff team that's going to be in it, you know, with five games left. So that's not necessarily going to be a, a great position if you're trying to jump to number one overall. Um, again, like it feels, so I think money pucks got the flames at 40% to make it. Um, yes. And I think they're, what do they have? Like in the, at hockey reference, they are 19.8. Now I'm not to make it. Now I'm not entirely sure the philosophy on, on how hockey references determines the number. Each place does it a little bit. So flames are 41.3% to make the playoffs on money puck and 0.1% to get number one overall. So by my quick math, that would make... Uh, I can't do the quick math, so I'm going to take my calculator. He's scale. literally grabbing his so phone to punch some numbers. So you add 0.1% to 41.3. That's 41.4. So you minus 100 minus... 100 minus 41.4. Math with Pat. Uh, so they've got a 58.6% chance of doing neither. Missing the playoffs and not getting the Bedard number one overall pick. At least according to Money Puck's model, which is... Um, which is... The highly analytical, highly expected yes. goals, uh, Corsi, so on and so forth. I find it interesting. They only have them at point one of, of getting the first overall because they are literally just one point up on a couple of teams that are at that 10-11 spot. So you slide a little bit, suddenly you're, you know, sitting at three or three, three and a half percent shot of winning the lottery. But you got to fall. And I have a feeling the Calgary Flames aren't looking to fall. They're looking to get as close to that second wild card as possible. Uh, this says this is a mediocre team. The only way to truly contend is to rebuild with elite talent. The franchise has been in pooper get off the pot mode for twenty years. Maybe I just don't know what you can realistically expect at this stage of the game right now. Uh, this says Flames have already screwed this season. They need to lose every game from here on in, plain and simple. That's from Jim. Again, Jim, that doesn't happen. What the, the no team in the NHL goes on an 18 game losing streak. That that I don't think that we've ever seen an 18 game losing streak in the history of the NHL. I can't confirm that. I will look that up in a second, but I don't believe we've ever seen an 18 game losing streak. Did we get a, a 19 game winning streak clip from Daryl? Prior to last game, we because did he not because he was going what twenty two, then twenty, then it would have been nineteen. Yes, nothing so far. Hmm. We haven't That's, got that yet, anyway. And for those of you that have no idea what I'm talking about, at recent press conferences at the Saddle Dome, he's referenced the and fact. Confirm, we've never had an eighteen game losing streak. Perfect. Seventeen has been. Done. Is the NHL record uh, done twice by the ninety two ninety three San Jose Sharks and the seventy four seventy five? Washington, Washington Capitals. Capitals. I would have put money on the Capitals because what they have like three wins that year. Yeah, they uh, probably would have been really bad if they lost seventeen in a row. Also, the Philadelphia Quakers uh, in nineteen thirty thirty one lost fifteen consecutive games. We all remember the Quakers of. Uh, yes, clearly we all remember that thirty thirty one. That was a that was a very important year for Philadelphia. Hockey well, I think they, they tanked and got a high pick. I think is what what happened that year. I, I'm not sure who the number one overall pick was. In I don't believe the NHL draft existed in the. It 1930s. did not actually. I believe so. it came into being in the 70s or something. Thanks for ruining my joke. I, I'm sorry. Uh, Matt says, guys, they blew the lead in the third. That's the signature game. This team doesn't have it. Uh, this says it feels like one of Winnipeg or Calgary are going to underachieve their way to the final playoff spot. Hey, don't sell Nashville short. Let's go. Very well happen. That's also true. 
Um, this look at this some positivity. Uh, craziness happens all the time in sports. I think they'll make it. Um, I like that. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I mean, I'd I like to no cover idea. playoff games this year. I'm sure fans would like to go to playoff games this year. Uh, what else we got here? Um, what else we got here at 960, 960? Um, this says everyone's saying tank when their issue this year has been goaltending posts and bad luck. Last season's curse backfired and cursed the season. Uh, and finally, this uh, says, are you guys available for math tutoring? Vickers, maybe. I don't think you want me to do it. Could you imagine trying to go back and do grade seven algebra? It would be a disaster. Oh, I even think about like, remember when you did. Um, safe fractions, safe fractions, uh, safe fractions. Fractions are hard. But remember with the, the, the line of the para, 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 parabola, uh, what was that like sine and cosine? And I, you could not. Tangent. Tangents. Yeah. You could not pay me enough for me to remember any of that. Hit us up with your favorite math questions at 960-960, and we'll be sure to respond via the text line. What, 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 like quadratic or something? Quadratic now, equations. Quadratic equations. Could I know not, these words. Could, uh, and then calculus. Math. Sokatoa. Oh, my goodness. I, and I don't even remember what that I means. Do. Uh, sine, cosine, tangent. It's just the uh, abbreviations for the three or, or okay. something along those lines. I hope that I thought, text I thought confirms. It, please confirm what that means. Can I remember that, but I don't remember what it Man, means. Man, what a flashback. Who thought we'd be here? Hey, look at us. Math yeah, on the radio. Remember Math 31? I don't know if you, but I, I did, did 30. I did Math 30 and then did Math 31, and I almost failed Math 31. It if, was so stupid. Like, you have got to be smart to be able to do that, or at least have the type oh, of mind. I, my, my mind does not compute that stuff very well. Just to take you down the uh, Grand Prairie educational system, my Math 20 tutor, no, my Math 10 tutor got forced into retirement, tutor, teacher, got forced into retirement. My Math 20 was the first year who got taken off of math after his first year. So by grade 12, I was out. And apparently what we were talking about, sine and cosine, is trigonometry and not algebra. Hey, we're nothing if not educational here. A uh, couple of other texts before we uh, wrap up this hour. Um, this says, I don't get the naysayers. This is a really good team. If it doesn't pan out, gear up for next season. The players are there. Second year with new additions and a bounce back in net. What's with all the doom and gloom? This says if they do make it, they'll be going in hot, and I'm sure it'll be a favorite to upset a team. Yeah. Uh, this says Flames getting into the playoffs means they have a ton of momentum, which would give them a decent shot of getting to the West. The East will beat itself up and limp into the finals. Flames Cup champs in 2023. That's super positive. Uh, this says Sutter has won a cup with an eighth place uh, with an eighth place team. He has indeed going back what 12 years ago now? 2011. 20, yeah. 2011. No, 2012. 20, yeah. 2012. So 10. I don't know. There's math Look involved that. in that Look question. That. 11 years ago. No. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Idiots. Uh, and this is what Sokotoa means. Sine opposite hypotenuse, cosine adjacent hypotenuse, tangent opposite adjacent. Triangles. It's time to, uh, it's time to wrap up this conversation. Please. <laughs> uh, my head's starting to hurt. He is Aaron Vickers on uh, on Twitter at AA Vickers from Daily Hive. My name is Pat Steinberg. We're coming at you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Wet basement, they have a lasting solution to keep your basement dry. If you experience any water in your basement, contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. 
Hey, it's George Russick. And Matty Rose. We host the big show with Russick and Rose. If you miss us weekday mornings on Sportsnet 960 to fan, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, download the podcast on demand. So many places that you can find the podcast wherever you get your favorite NHL, NFL, CFL, MLB, the stories that sports fans in Calgary want to hear. We got it for you. We are the big show. You're locked on Flames Talk, only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Time for a Tuesday edition of the Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Upgrade your current Mercedes-Benz to a 2022 model with a 2% additional reduction. Drive over to Mercedes-Benz Country Hills minutes from the Calgary Airport. My name is Pat Steinberg. He's Aaron Vickers of Daily Hive. Now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, joins us to complete our Daily Flames roundtable. So uh, Flames kick off a quick little two-game road trip Monday night with a 5-4 win over the Dallas Stars. And uh, part of that was Nick Ritchie's Calgary Flames debut. He did not play on Saturday against Minnesota. He gets, or yeah, that was against Minnesota. He gets in Monday against the Dallas Stars. Uh, What did we make of Nick Ritchie's Calgary Flames debut? I thought he was really good, guys, outside of a bad penalty. But other than that, I was really impressed by Nick Ritchie. And I was wondering about uh, him being put on the left side of a line with Nazem Kadri and Jonathan Huberto. Clearly, the Flames have been trying to get those guys going. And you know, for a while, it definitely looked like Jacob Peltier injected some energy into at least one of those guys, uh, the guy on the right side of that line. But, you know, they needed more from Kadri and Huberto, and they got more from those two guys. And I think Richie was a part of that last night. I think Peltier was playing pretty well on the left side of that line. But Richie's a much different player. Obviously, uh, a lot bigger guy. He's 6'3", uh, 236. And you look at Pelche, and he's 5'9", 160. So, you know, Pelche did some good things, but Richie can do some different things. And I thought his size was a factor for the Flames, and I think was a factor for Kadri and Huberto last night. Maybe created a little bit more open ice for them, did a little bit more of the heavy lifting that uh, as hard as he tries, Jacob Pelche with his lack of size simply can't do. Scored a huge goal, snapping his own uh, 11-game goalless and pointless streaks in the team's 121-minute and 21-second long goal to streak. Uh, Pretty cool that he gets his first goal in his first game with the Flames just 3.53 in, and I thought he was a net front presence, uh, both five on five and on the power play. All in all, guys, really impressive debut for Nick Ritchie. But you know, the question with him has always been, can he keep it up? Consistency has been an issue. But if he can keep playing like he did last night, then uh, Flames might have something in him. Yeah, I'll echo a lot of those same sentiment, sentiments. Although I will say for me, he kind of showed a little bit of that inconsistency through the 60 minutes. Look, it's no secret the Calgary Flames have been in and around Nick Ritchie several times throughout his career, whether it be at the 2014 draft, whether it be via free agency, getting him in Calgary Flames silks and seeing what he can do on a line with Nazem Kadri, Jonathan Huberto, started like a house on fire. He had a goal on his second shift, two shots and two hits through the first 10 minutes of the game. Again, I thought he trailed off. There were some ebbs and flows to his game a little bit that you'd like to see him smooth out, but it's his first game with a new team, new line mates, new coach, new situation, so that's completely understandable. The thing that everybody will catch outside of the goal is that bad penalty late in the third, which, of course, raised some eyebrows and almost gave the here-we-go-again kind of scenario, nightmare scenario for the Calgary Flames. But he's in a good spot playing on that line. Daryl clearly wants to get him lots of ice time playing on that second line, playing power play time, finishes with a goal, three shots, three hits. All in all, I think it's a successful debut for him. 
I yeah, I I liked him. I thought he was just fine. I thought he was. Uh, I thought he made an impact. I thought that he uh, created some room for that line. Uh, I thought that Huberdo and Kadri had their best games in quite some time. So I got nothing negative to say about Game One for Nick Ritchie. But you know, my the 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 biggest question is going to be to to both your points. Can that? We've seen lots of games like that in Nick Ritchie's career going back to when he was drafted in 2014. We've seen lots of games with Boston like that. We've seen lots of games with Anaheim. I've seen games against the Flames where he played for the Ducks. You're like, ooh, Nick Ritchie's going to be a player. And it it never happens on a regular basis. And, you know, it it didn't work out so well in Toronto. In Arizona, he was able to get his stock back up a little bit. And here's a really big opportunity for him to get some top nine minutes and to to maybe put himself in a different spot this summer when it comes to a new contract. Because if he can play with the the type of urgency and the the type of motivation, like, hey, if you don't, you might not be in an NHL job next year. You might be looking at a PTO or something like mm-hmm. that. I, I think maybe he can. Um, he can be effective for them. It's one game. I liked him in his first game. It's a good. It's a good start. There's 18 to go, and we need to see a whole lot more of that than we have other versions of Nick Ritchie throughout his career. Let's see if he can do it. Yeah, and if worst case scenario is the Flames catching lightning in a bottle for 19 games. That's fine. But maybe best case scenario is he does an F in 19 games to get a contract with the Flames during the offseason. So we'll see how it plays out. Uh, Aaron, you brought up an interesting point, and I saw the same thing. I, I did think that his play tailed off as that game went on. I do wonder if Nick Ritchie's conditioning is going to have to get up to Daryl Sutter's standards because we know those are high standards and and that's something that I think he's fought at times during his career but you know he scored a big goal and the Flames needed someone to step up and and score the opening goal of last night's game and snap their long scoreless streak so he was the guy who did that and again I thought his size was a factor last night guys and that's mm-hmm. not a knock yeah. on Jacob Pelche because I think Pelche was probably the best player on that line with Nazem Kadri and Jonathan Huberto which says probably less about him and more about the other two guys, but uh, they looked energized playing alongside Nick Ritchie last night. So looking forward to seeing those three probably together again tonight, and uh, we'll see if the Flames can get a second straight win. We know Daryl's never been shy to critique a fitness level of members, without naming them, but members of the Calgary Flames, so we'll see what happens there. But listen, if Nick, goal aside, if he can give you three shots, three or four hits, and create room for his line mates and get on pucks first that are dumped in, that's all you're asking from him, from my perspective. Yep. And, and guys, yeah, quickly, ahead. getting to the middle of the ice and to the front of the yep. net has been a challenge for the Flames all season long. He can do it. And needs to do it on a regular basis yep. between now and the end of the regular season. Uh, Derek Wills, Aaron Vickers, Pat Steinberg, Daily Flames Roundtable on this Tuesday edition of Flames Talk. Um. You know, I was watch, watching that game last night and, and watching the Flames and Stars go head-to-head on Monday. And I, I think Dallas played well at times. They erased a couple of two-goal deficits. But whenever I watch the Stars, I'm like, yeah, they're a good team, but they're not a great team. And I I got myself thinking again watching that game. 
trying to figure out who the clear-cut best team in the Western Conference is. And, and I'm having a hard time uh, I'm having a hard time pinpointing that. So I thought I would uh, ask my friends. Um, if you had to choose one team as the best team in the West or the team to beat in the West, who are you pointing to right now? For me, it's easy, but there's also an asterisk, the, the avalanche for me. When they're healthy... I think they're by far the best team in the Western Conference, but they haven't been healthy all season, guys. And who knows? Maybe it will just be one of those years for them where they don't get uh, 100% healthy. And as you know, it's uh, tougher to stay healthy in the playoffs than it is during the regular season. And uh, they're get going to get to the playoffs, even though it uh, was uh, kind of nip and tuck there for a while. You know, they might even win the Central Division with how tightly that division's packed up right now. But uh, they've got to get healthy in order to be the best team in the Western Conference. And they're without a number of key players right now. They've been without their captain, Gabriel Landeskog, all season. Uh, right now, also without uh, Pavel Francouz, their number two goaltender. Uh, without uh, Darren Helm, who is uh, a very versatile player in their bottom six and has won a Stanley Cup, a couple of them, as a matter of fact. And uh, pretty banged up on the blue line right now with Josh Mann. Eric Johnson and Curtis McDermott out so uh, they're a team that has been battling through injuries all season long and we keep waiting for them to get healthy and uh, when it looks like they're starting to get healthy another player or two or three seems to get hurt so we'll see if they can get there beyond them I think it's a really interesting question Pat Uh, I do like what the Stars did at the trade deadline and if Jake Ottinger played like he did in the first round versus the Flames last season, he can steal games and steal series. We saw him almost do it against a heavily favored Flames team. He is the one and only reason why that series got to, to game seven and to OT in the seventh and deciding game last season. So he can be a, a difference maker. And, and maybe your perspective got swayed a little bit by the fact that once again, he didn't play well in a game against the Flames during the regular season. He is now 0-3. Uh, in flames in games against the flames during the regular season which is interesting when you consider how fact uh, the fact that he was really good in the postseason against them last year but it, it's a tough question for me to answer pat because i've got question marks with pretty much every western conference team i, I really like the oilers uh, as far as their skaters are concerned but i've got huge question marks with their goaltending and they're going to need one of those guys, whether it be Jack Campbell, who was supposed to be the guy but hasn't been the guy, or Stuart Skinner, uh, to step up and look like a legitimate number one goaltender consistently. And Skinner's been the better of the two this season, but I'm not sold that uh, he's going to lead them to the promised land. So they've got uh, a big question mark between the pipes. And uh, I would say the same thing about the Golden Knights. I like their skaters, but I'm not sold on their goaltenders. So... I would say the Avalanche, if healthy, but again, there's an asterisk because they're not healthy and haven't been all season long. You asked for best team, clear-cut best team in the Western Conference, and I don't know if this will play, but the Colorado Avalanche are the team that scares me the most. So if we equate those two, if we reconcile those two thoughts, it's the Colorado Avalanche because even at 75%, give me the Colorado Avalanche, over the Dallas Stars at 100%, over Vegas at 100%. To quote my dear and close and personal friend, Ric Flair, to be the man, you've got to beat the man. Oh, Wilsey with a cameo woo there. Nicely done, sir. (laughs) Simply put, until somebody dethrones the Colorado Avalanche, for me, it's going to be Colorado. Funny to say because they literally hold the second wild card, the last playoff spot from the Western Conference. Yes, they got some games at hand and whatnot to make up, and they're not that far from second in the Central and knocking on Dallas's door for first in the Central. 
you ran through all the injury concerns and you can toss in Kale McCarr in and out of the lineup over the course of the last month or so back now. Colorado still scares me the most. It'd be the team I'd want to avoid if I'm playing in the playoffs, whether they're the number one seed in the Central, whether they're the second wild card into the playoffs from the West. Starts and ends with the Colorado Avalanche for me because maybe I've, I don't even want to say it's nightmares because I personally am not going to be terrified of the Colorado Avalanche and whatever they do in the Stanley Cup playoffs. But just seeing their run last year, knowing the personnel they have and the potential for some of that personnel to return from injury, either right before the playoffs or into the playoffs, for me, it's the Colorado Avalanche. It's uh, it's one of those questions where I it should be the Avalanche. Yes. Like, and, and when you take a look at who's on that team and when you take a look at what they did last year, it should be them, but it hasn't really come together enough this year for that to be the case. Now, I still think if they're healthy come the postseason – that we will be talking about them being the team to beat. And I would I would suggest that regardless of what team you are, like I think you want to, I think based on the fact that Colorado's probably going to be a Central Division team, I guess we'll see, but you probably want to win the division to see if you can avoid them in round one because I, I think that they are a team that most teams would, would very much like to avoid. I just, not one team in the Western Conference I can sit here and definitively say, yeah, that team for sure gets out of the uh, out of the first round because if Colorado's not healthy and Landeskog's not back and and we don't know what Georgiev will be in the postseason, it's been very good for him this year. Don't get me wrong, but I don't know. Like Minnesota, could Minnesota lose in round one? Sure. Could they go to the Western Conference final? Yeah. I you know we don't know what Vegas's situation with Mark Stone and their goaltending looks like. I don't know. Is is Stuart Skinner going to be able to answer the bell come postseason time? I don't know if you're very confident if that's going to be Jack Campbell. I guess the way I would put it is, I guess because they're the defending Stanley Cup champions, you got to go with the Avalanche by default. But for me right now, based on what I've seen from them for the body of work of their 60 or 61 games so far this year, I think it's 60. Um, 61. 61, Okay. It's only by default because of the 10 teams with legitimate playoff aspirations right now, not one of them looks like a full-on bonafide contender. The Avalanche get that nod because of who they are and what they did last year. So if I had to rank the eight teams currently in a playoff spot in the Western Conference from scariest to least scariest, uh, again, I would go with the Avalanche number one, but it it's if they're healthy. I feel like they'll be healthy or at least a lot healthier. Uh, they won the Stanley Cup last year. They know they don't have to kill themselves during the regular season. All they have to do is get in, and then they're going to have a great chance to get to another Stanley Cup final. So I'd go Avalanche 1. Believe it or not, and some people aren't going to want to hear this, I would go Oilers 2 because Connor McDavid is playing at another level right now, yep. maybe a level that nobody has ever played at, and Leon Dreisaitl's not far behind him. So I would go with them second. And then I would go with the Stars because their older players are having good years. Their younger players, led by Jason Robertson, are having good seasons. So I like them and I like their goaltender. I would go the Golden Knights fourth. And then it's a bit of a mishmash. I would probably go Jets fifth only because of Connor Hellebuck. And then Wild sixth because they're just so hard to play against. And I feel like in a best of seven series, they would just grind you right into the ground or into the ice. And then I would go with, I don't know, I guess the Kings, because uh, they've got some guys who have won a couple of Stanley Cups. I would take them ahead of the Kraken. But, you know, once you get past 
I would say the, the Stars or the Golden Knights. I would like the Flames' chances against any of those other teams in a best-of-seven series. The challenge is going to be to get there. Yeah, I can't really argue anything you said there. I guess my question would be is, does the answer change at all if you're looking at a first-round matchup for the Calgary Flames specifically? Is there a team you fear more than the Colorado Avalanche? No, probably not. Fair enough. Well, again, if, if they're not healthy, then I would say the Oilers. But if they are healthy, then no, they're and as that's, scary as anybody. Yeah. That's why I was curious if we'd get any Oilers uh, content on that. Well, answer. based on based on what happened last year, and I guess Edmonton still got legitimate ish eyes on winning the division. Like it, it, it feels like that's Vegas's division to lose. And even with Stone out and Thompson out, they've found a way to pick up points in nine of their last ten games and win three consecutively. Like Vegas, it feels like that's Vegas's spot to lose, but. It's only four back, both Seattle and Edmonton, only four back of the division lead, and LA's right there tied with them. So it's anything but decided. So I guess the potential of a Calgary-Edmonton round one matchup is is there, but unlikely. I wouldn't like that just because of what happened last year. Um, but who knows if a different group that somehow Whoa. makes it in could could be a, a more difficult matchup for the Oilers. That's what we thought coming into the season. Yeah. But who knows at this point? And it's a long shot at this point. I, I understand that. Last night was a good first step in the right direction, but they're going to have to string some wins together. We'll see if they can make it two in a row for the first time in a long time tonight. But I do think the Flames would match up at least on paper better uh, than they did last season because of the way they're stacked down the middle. Uh, they're top five in defense. And if Jacob Markstrom keeps trending in this direction, then uh, they might have a better goaltender uh, should they face the Oilers than they certainly had in five games against them in last season's Stanley Cup playoffs. But the other thing about the Oilers, uh, I think most teams in the West have question marks in goal. The Oilers are, are definitely one of them. But the thing is, doesn't it feel like they could beat you 6-5 all the time? Yes. It's kind of what they've done over the last couple of years. And they can overcome uh, average or even below average goaltending because they've got those generational players who can put the team on their back and score five or six or seven or eight goals when they need to. Just a little shout out. To that thought, and Connor McDavid, who's already got an NHL career high in points this year with 20% of the schedule left to go, and if he hits his projection, he'll be only the third player to reach 156 points in NHL history behind Mario Lemieux, behind Wayne Gretzky. He's having a hell of a year. You can't frame it any differently. Yeah, you probably don't want to play that guy in the playoffs. Guys, he's almost at two points a game. I never 1.9, thought, yeah. I never thought we'd see that in the NHL again, and here he is doing it right now. Also, some love for the Nashville Predators. Let's go. They won't. They don't want to go away. If you want to talk about the Flames not doing a good job of tanking, the Predators are doing a worse job of tanking. Anyway, that's for another day. Thank you, Wellesie. Mm -hmm. Okay, see you soon. He's Derek Wells. He's Aaron Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg, and that's your Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Upgrade your current Mercedes-Benz to a 2022 model with a 2% additional reduction. Drive over to Mercedes-Benz Country Hills minutes from the Calgary Airport. As we start to wrap up this hour of Flames Talk, he's Aaron Vickers of Daily Hive. My name is Pat Steinberg. Cam and Taylor have been our producers this hour, and we went one and one on Monday's Best Bets but not necessarily the way I thought we were going to get there. It's time for your Tuesday best bets, brought to you by our friends at Bodog.net. Find your next favorite game at Bodog.net. Hashtag make a play. Free play only. 18 plus. Play responsibly. So I did not love my over six for the Flames and Stars. And uh, Wes, <laughs> for a was, while anyway. Wes was giving it to me on Mondays, like on and off of microphone. He said, like, what are you doing going over six? And for good reason. I was like, 
what am I doing? This is one of my worst best bets of the year. And it went over uh, as all of a sudden, neither Ottinger couldn't. That was the first time Ottinger played the Flames since game seven and did not look anything like, and not to say he was bad or the reason why the Stars lost, but did not look like the superhuman Jake Ottinger from the postseason. Um, and Jacob Markstrom, I, I really, I know his save percentage went down. I thought Markstrom played just fine. And honestly, I'd go back to him against Minnesota, but that's a conversation for later in another time. Um, so it did go over six. The one that I was feeling good about did not hit. I was feeling really good about Brady Kachuk over three and a half shots for Chicago. And the Senators oh. laid an absolute egg against the Blackhawks. I know. Then he was going after Staylock and He was a little <sighs> distracted. That is a that is a can't lose game for a Senators team trying to make the playoffs. I really it's not, even, it's not even like it was a two one loss. They no, got they blown got out, pounded five nothing. The Sens need to win those games if they want to get there. Anyway, so we're one and one to start the week. Uh, here's what I got for you on Tuesday. Uh, look how low that total is for the Flames and Wild, and I get why. But total set at five and a half. So I'm gonna ride the hot hand and do it again. Go over five and a half. For the Wild and the Flames. I like it. And also, I've got a couple of shot props for you. Ricard Raquel, over two and a half shots for Pittsburgh as they take on Columbus. And Oliver Bjorkstrand of Seattle, over two and a half shots at home to Anaheim. So I'm going over five and a half for Calgary, Minnesota. Over two and a half shots for Ricard Raquel. And over two and a half shots for Oliver Bjorkstrand on your Tuesday best bets. It mix in a little Tyler Toffoli there. Ride that hot hand in terms of shots over two and a half. He's hit for 60%. So pardon me, 66% on the season, 85% in his last 20, 80 in his last 10. It's coming off a pretty important goal. Why not fire a few more pucks? I don't mind that one at all. I have a little question though. Yeah. Did you give it to Wes? I saw a little Twitter exchange. I did, yeah. Did you win that? I think, yes, he... He's, he's, he's a tough he one to beat. Over, over text. Like, yeah. And get him off a golf course and he's impossible to beat. I know. Good one. Um, that was well played. Also, they raised Backlands. They finally caught yeah. on to Backlands. Now, shot did he totals. get a shot? He got one. Yeah. But they've they raised, raised it to three, three and, and a half, half. Which took about 60 plus Well, he games. still hit nine straight over three and a half, I think it was. And they raised him and then he didn't come close. He must have known. Backs. Uh, that'll wrap us up this hour. Those are your Flames Talk Best Bets brought to you by Bodog.net. Find your next favorite game at Bodog.net. Hashtag make a play. Free play only. 18 plus. Play responsibly.